Attention, all troops. He's alive. Alive. Welcome to the Rapnolis. In elementary school, I have this really cool teacher who kind of extended the idea of show and tell as the kids got older into a public speaking moment allotted time for each kid to stand up and talk about something and they had to get up there and just talk about anything they wanted but after you finished the teacher would then have follow-up questions for you i enjoyed this a lot because i had lots of interests namely tv and movies sometimes even commercials and when it was my turn i would get up and explain the plot of something or just completely reenact a commercial. Almost none of these presentations are memorable to me, except for one. I attempted in my short time to summarize an episode of Godzilla, the animated series that I had watched a couple of Saturdays before. It turned out it was the first episode with the volcano. Now the teacher who knew of Godzilla did not know that there was an animated series and had a couple of follow-up questions, and one of them sort of led to a discussion of the theme song, which I was more than happy to sing a little bit of. Therein was the mistake, because people had been used to me talking about whatever cartoon or TV show I was watching. But to hear me sing about Godzilla, which is just a sort of booming Godzilla, Godzilla. And then there's a part where you sing about Godzuki, who's this side character in the show. It's the sort of high-pitched Godzuki part that caught the attention of my classmates. And for about a month afterwards, I didn't hear the end of it. Now, there was no physical violence accompanying this, which is good. I don't know how people could turn that into a beating, but people would constantly mock my Godzuki line, singing it to me, telling me I had a beautiful singing voice, which I did. But since I knew they were making fun of me, it didn't feel good. That did not deter me from watching Godzilla when it was on television. I just kept it to myself and never sang it again. That's not true. Occasionally, I still sing it mostly to myself. And those who do catch me singing it are usually struck by the angelic quality of my voice and are often left dumbstruck, staring in wide-eyed amazement that that beautiful sound came out of me. On today's show, we're going to talk about the animated series from 1978, Godzilla. We'll talk about the origins of the show. We'll talk about the companies that produced it. We'll talk a little bit about the plot, the characters, people who did the voices, and we'll throw in some surprises here and there. We have an info-packed episode ahead of us, so without further ado, let's start the show.
Godzilla, the animated series, was co-produced by Hanna-Barbera Productions and Toho. It aired on NBC in the United States and TV Tokyo in Japan, starting in 1978. It's an adaptation of the Godzilla character, which was produced by Toho. The series began in 1978 and would continue to air until 1981. And we'll talk a little bit about its format changes over the years a little bit later. First, let's talk about the people behind the show, Hanna-Barbera. I've talked about them before. Hanna-Barbera is an American animation studio that pretty much owned American television animation. It was started in 1957 by William Hanna and Joseph Barbera, who were the creators of the very famous Tom and Jerry. They would go on to produce some of the most well-known TV animation, including The Jetsons, The Flintstones, Scooby-Doo, The Smurfs. Along the way, they would win Emmys, Golden Globes, and many other awards. Toho was a Japanese theater production company founded in 1932 that managed much of the Kabuki Theater in Tokyo. They then started making films, and they would eventually go on to create Godzilla, who would probably become their most famous property. Godzilla always being a favorite among young people, it seemed natural that it would become an animated series. It was brought to Hanna-Barbera because they could do things on the cheap. Some people even would joke that they were done so cheaply that it was more radio than television. I don't know. When I was a kid, I was always pretty well entertained because they had great voice people, great music, and great writers. And so it really wasn't all that necessary to have that much fresh content on the screen. And I think there's a certain beautiful minimalism to Hanna-Barbera material, but we'll have to talk about that in another show. Godzilla was developed for television by Dick Robbins and Dwayne Poole. They were also the story editors on the show. Robbins and Poole worked on a bunch of Hanna-Barbera material. Over the years, Robbins is probably best known for his work on the Transformers, but he also worked on Defenders of the Earth, Manchi Cheese, the Little Rascals, Scooby's Laugh Olympics, and many, many, many other things. Poole also worked on a lot of great stuff, probably best known, though, for his work on the Smurfs. The plot of Godzilla is, I guess, pretty straightforward, although strange. It follows the adventures of a research vessel, the Calico, who has rescued maybe the offspring, maybe the nephew, maybe the cousin of Godzilla, a little humorous fellow named Godzuki, and by doing so, They sort of befriended Godzilla, and Godzilla is at their beck and call. The Calico seems to be a magnet for disaster, attracting all sorts of giant monsters, so it is really good that Godzilla is pretty much there at a moment's notice. Godzuki also can call Godzilla, and he often needs help because he's not mature at all. He's mostly there for comic relief, but he does try as often as possible. Now, I'm not sure what the relationship of Godzuki is to Godzilla. When I was a child, I thought Godzuki was Godzilla's kid. But from what I understand, Godzilla is his uncle, which would mean that Godzilla had a brother or sister who had Godzuki. Now, from what I understand, there were multiple Godzillas, so maybe Godzuki's the offspring of some other Godzilla, or maybe monster society is much more complicated, and maybe it's a sort of honorary title, since Godzilla's this massively powerful creature who watches out for him. He thinks of him as uncle. Godzilla in the show can breathe fire, as opposed to his trademark atomic breath. He can also shoot laser beams from his eyes for some reason. 
one of the less talked about abilities that Godzilla has in this show is the ability to change size seemingly at will, getting from just huge to tremendously huge. And you'll see this from scene to scene where Godzilla will pick up a boat and in the very next scene, the people that were on that boat pretty much just fill up his hand. So he was able to grow that hand to pick up that boat and then I guess return to his normal size. I can't imagine that that would be a animation mistake. It must be an unpublicized ability of Godzilla. And a pretty cool one, sort of Apache Chief-like, if Apache Chief was already huge and then could grow huger. Today's show is brought to you by a local boating store. Need to get out there and find your very own Godzuki? Get a boat. Gotta love those boats. The crew of the Calico consisted of a bunch of great characters and a lot of great voices behind them. Captain Carl Majors was voiced by Jeff David. I always like when people are named something like Captain Majors. Jeff David was born in 1940, and he's had a bunch of great roles over the years. He appeared in the 1982 underrated film The King of Comedy, as well as the TV series Buck Rogers in the 25th Century. Al Eisenman played Pete. Eisenman was born in 1965, and he's worked on the set of films doing crew work on movies like L.A. Confidential and The Last Samurai. As an actor, in addition to voice work, he appeared on Little House on the Prairie and Bosom Buddies. And just getting back to film, he made an appearance in the movie Theodore Rex, which is an underrated mid-90s Whoopi Goldberg vehicle. Definitely should check that out. Hilly Hicks voiced Brock. Hilly was born in 1950 in L.A. On TV, he was in Roots, MASH, Night Gallery, and That's My Mama. He was also in a movie that I must have watched on videotape a bunch of times. It's called Raise the Titanic. I was obsessed with raising the Titanic when I was a kid. Brenda Thompson played Quinn. She was born in 1944 in Savannah, Georgia. She did a lot of great TV work, appearing in MASH, Dynasty, Murder, She Wrote, and Perfect Strangers. Godzuki was voiced by the great Don Messick. Messick, who passed away in 1997, did a tremendous amount of voice work. He's probably known to modern audiences as the voice of Papa Smurf in The Smurfs, Muttley the Dog in Wacky Races, and of course Astro the Dog and Scooby-Doo. If you've heard Messick, you might wonder what does he actually sound like. If you watch Yogi Bear, Messick provided the voice of Ranger Smith, and from what I understand, that is the closest to his natural voice that you will hear. Finally, the grumbling roaring of Godzilla was provided by Ted Cassidy. You're going to hear a little bit more about Ted Cassidy from Vic Sage on Why Should I Know This Person. Hi friends, Vic Sage here with Why Should I Know This Person? And this time we are going to be taking a look at Ted Cassidy, the voice of Godzilla from the 1978 animated series. Theodore Crawford Cassidy was born in Philippi, West Virginia on July 31, 1932. It's 6 foot 9 inches. It's easy to see why he played center in basketball for his high school as well as football where he played tackle. 
In college, Ted was elected social vice president and was a member of the Ormond Beach, Florida Lifesaving Corps. Graduating college in 1955, he would marry a year later and move to Dallas, Texas, where he was employed as a midday disc jockey on WFAA-AM. He could also be seen at that time, sometimes appearing on Ed Hogan's afternoon movies as Creech, an outer space creature, for the segment Dialing for Dollars on WFAA-TV Channel 8. His first true role in film and TV was for an uncredited voice work in 1959's The Angry Red Planet as a Martian. Ted would do quite a bit of uncredited voice work during his career, but the role he's probably most well known for came in 1964. Ted was cast as Lurch, the faithful family butler in 1964's The Addams Family. He would play the character in 64 episodes of the original series. Cassidy would provide the voice of Lurch in the 1972, the new Scooby-Doo movies, the episode entitled Wednesday is Missing, and the 1973 Adams Family animated series, though he only provided voice work for three of those episodes. His famous catchphrase of, You rang, was actually ad-libbed, but cast and crew liked it so much they tried to find a way to fit it into every episode. Ted, by the way, also played the part of Thing, with a crew member... <laughs> lending a hand whenever the two had to be on screen together. Other notable appearances in TV and film include 1966 Frankenstein Jr. in The Impossibles as the voice of Frankenstein Jr., Space Ghost, The Girl from Uncle, Lost in Space, Batman, where he made a cameo as Lurch, Star Trek, where he provided the voice of the Gorn, he provided the voice of Balok's puppet in The Corbinite Maneuver, and played Ruck in the episode entitled What Are Little Girls Made Of? He was seen in The Beverly Hillbillies, Daniel Boone, and provided the voice of Galactus in 1967's Fantastic Four animated series. He was also the voice of Igu in The Herculoids and Spy Shadow in Super President. Ted was in two episodes of I Dream of Genie, played Samson in the 1968 Tarzan TV series, and made an appearance on Manix before lending his vocal talents to 20 episodes of The New Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. He co-starred with Gregory Peck, Omar Sharif, and Telly Savalas in McKenna's Gold. And in that same year, he appeared alongside Paul Newman and Robert Redford in Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. He also made an appearance in The Six Million Dollar Man as Bigfoot, Man from Atlantis, Chico and the Man, and provided the voice of the demon Balzaroth in the Doctor Strange TV movie. At the end of his career, sadly, due to his death in 1979, he was focusing solely on animated voice work with Janna of the Jungle, providing the voice of The Thing in 1978's Fantastic Four series. He was the voice of Black Manta and Brainiac in The Challenge of the Super Friends, and he also, of course, provided the voice of Godzilla for 26 episodes of that animated series. This has been Vic Sage with Why Should I Know This Person, signing off until next time. Thanks, Vic. I'm not sure why they didn't use Godzilla's roar. Maybe it was a legal issue, but it would have been really cool if they did. And as an adult listening to it, it's a bit confusing to hear Godzilla make these sounds when you know the roar that Godzilla is supposed to make. Godzilla would go through several format changes over the years, starting in 1978, where it premiered as part of the Godzilla Power Hour. In this original one, Godzilla was paired with another show called Janna of the Jungle. Just a couple of months after the premiere, the show was expanded to 90 minutes. 
becoming the Godzilla Super 90, and to that they added Johnny Quest reruns. So a lot of people who had not seen Johnny Quest before got to see it in association with Godzilla. In 1979, Godzilla was taken away from the others and given his own standalone half-hour time slot, and that was simply Godzilla. They had wanted to pair it with two other shows and create a brand new 90-minute programming arc that would have had the schmoo and the thing in it. On September 27, 1980, after 26 half-hour episodes had been produced, the show went into reruns. That didn't stop the Godzilla train from roaring along. He would be teamed up with other Hanna-Barbera characters, Dynamut and Hong Kong Fooey, namely. Then it would go back to its normal half-hour format, and it was the last broadcast in that format on Saturday mornings on September 5th, 1981, after which it would be replaced by another show that would go on to bigger and better things, the Smurfs. It was very difficult to get your hands on anything related to this show in the 1980s, unless you happened to know somebody who taped it and having a VCR that early was not common. There was a limited video cassette release of two episodes. This drought of animated Godzilla continued until 1993, when it started getting broadcast on Turner-associated networks. Now I talked to you about the Godzilla theme song and my mistake in singing it. The music for Godzilla was produced by Hoyt Stoddard Curtin was born in 1922, passed away in 2000, worked as the primary musical director for Hanna-Barbera from 1957 until 1986. He was the composer for so many great things, including the Flintstones, Top Cat, Super Friends, Josie and the Pussycats, the Smurfs. He also worked in film, creating the score for the film The Mesa of Lost Women and Edward's Jailbait. He was also the composer of music heard in the background in Plan 9 from Outer Space. It's hard to really pick what theme song he created that would be my favorite. Flintstones was so good, and so was the Jetsons, and I really love the Smurfs. Let's just say the guy was an incredible talent, and we shouldn't have to pick. Okay, it was Johnny Quest. If you want to watch the 1978 Godzilla animated series, Season 1 is available streaming online on services like Amazon Prime. It's also appeared on Netflix and Hulu. A bunch of episodes were released on DVD, and you could pick them up pretty cheap. Three volumes were released. Unfortunately, that wasn't all the episodes. And if you are trying to get just those ones, Volume 1 and 2 you can pick up for a song. Volume 3, the price goes up a lot. I'm not talking just like $5 to $20. I'm talking $5 to, say, seven, $800. I don't know what's going on there, but if you have a copy... You might want to hold on to it or try to sell it. Maybe somebody would buy it at that price. In the late 90s, a Godzilla movie starring Matthew Broderick hit theaters, and it would spawn its own pretty decent Godzilla animated series called Godzilla the Series, which started running on September 12, 1998. It is sort of similar to the 1978 Godzilla, although I have to say a little bit better animated and maybe a little darker. I didn't love the late 90s Godzilla reimagining. I actually found the animated series to be better than the movie and sort of worthwhile to track down, which might put you on a road to looking up how the Godzilla from the 1998 film fits into the Godzilla canon. And I advise you not to go down that rabbit hole. There's a lot of stuff to read on it. A lot of great animated TV shows came out in the 70s and 80s. It's a shame that not all of them are available. Fortunately, a lot of Godzilla is available, and especially for the casual fan, just being able to see the first season of it should be good enough. 
a reboot of Godzilla is on the horizon. Perhaps you will come away with an interest in all things Godzilla afterwards, and you'll run to go see the other movies. I suggest you do. They're all great if you haven't seen them. But don't overlook some other great things like Godzilla, the animated series. It's out there. And if you're a fan of Hanna-Barbera animation, it can't be beat. So please, if you haven't given it a shot, take a half hour, maybe at a lunch break, maybe on a Saturday morning when you have nothing to do, load it up, sit back, relax, pour yourself a big bowl of cereal. And when that theme song comes on, just know that I might not be on the couch next to you, but wherever I am, I'm probably singing along. Thanks for listening to the show. For more retro fun, you can drop by the website at www.retroist.com. You can follow me on Facebook and Twitter. I'm at facebook.com slash retroist.com and twitter.com slash retroist. The music you hear on the show is by Peachy. If you have musical needs, you can email Peachy at peachy at retroist.com. Thanks to Vic Sage for another great Why Should I Know This Person. If you have feedback for Vic, you can email him at vicsage at retroist.com. Vic Sage also has his own podcast that's on the Retroist called Saturday Frights which is all about retro horror. So if you're a retro horror fiend, you can listen to it at the site or go to iTunes and just search Saturday Frights Podcast. Thanks for listening to the show, and I hope you have a great weekend. Turner would eventually go on to purchase Hannah and Barbera. <laughs> he would, well, not actually Hannah and Barbera, but Hannah Barbera. Uh, this has been a retrospective production. Goodbye.